everybody. It is Monday, February 22nd, 2021, and this is the Five Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Auger, and today we're going to cover a bunch of stuff that we were going to talk about last week before Texas just decided to have an ice storm and uh, ERCOT just didn't do what they needed to do to keep the power on. So uh, I do apologize for this being delayed. We are going to do two shorter episodes this week to cover a lot of what we were going to cover last week, as well as add in any new information that may pop up during this week's business cycle news for MMA. Uh, But appreciate you guys for having patience here. And for those of you that reached out to me, I really appreciate that as well. I am fine. I got very lucky compared to a lot of other people. If you or anyone you know are in Texas and you still need water or help or anything of that, definitely reach out to me. Um, I do have friends all over the state, especially with water distribution going around. I want to make sure you guys are all good. So feel free to hit me up if you need to. Um, Apologize for the ragamuffin look. Again, with water and power issues, it's been a nightmare. I promise by Thursday, I'll be back to my cleaner self, but that's why I'm looking like a frat frat boy, essentially. Uh, But with that all being said, uh, let's go ahead and move forward. We've got big topics to cover. So for this episode, we are going to talk about Kamaru Usman's reported UFC 258 pay-per-view salary, as well as the UFC 258 pay-per-view buys. Numbers were released. I'm going to pretty much tell you how much how much of that is bullshit, how much of it is real, everything of that nature. We'll, we'll walk through it. Uh, then we're going to talk about the PFL doing a big round of fundraising. This is a very big deal for them. It's going to be a huge deal if they use it in the way that they said they were going to, which I will cover here in a little bit. And then lastly, we're going to hit the Bellator ranking system. The business ramifications of that are pretty big, and we're going to go ahead and talk through that and what it means for the promotion, for the fighters, everything that these new promotional rankings uh, really touch on from a business perspective. So with that in mind, we've got timestamps on the bottom as usual, and you can jump around to whatever subject you like. I may throw in one or two little tidbits at the end too, depending on what what time frame we're looking at here. Uh, but again, appreciate your patience and let's go ahead and get right into it. All right, so the first subject I wanna talk about here on today's show is the UFC 258 reported pay-per-view buys as well as reported salaries. So there was a particularly popular tweet that um, got picked up by some journalists as well as a lot of MMA Twitter uh, talking about the reported pay-per-view buys being in the neighborhood of 500,000 buys and Usman getting a salary of 1.6 million when you calculated his base plus uh, the amount he would get per buy. And a couple of news sites also reported on that. They took the info, the original source info coming from MMAsalaries.com and ran with that, uh, wrote up several pieces about it, said, yes, 500K buys, all of that. Now, look, I pr- predicted 500K pay-per-view buys a uh, while back. Uh, two show, really just one show now, sorry. it's It's been ages down here in Texas. <laughs> so uh, I predicted 500K buys. I would love love for that number to be true but you can't trust these numbers at all these are the type of numbers that are just blatantly wrong and how do i know that if you look at mmasalaries.com and you go look at ufc 257 right or any other of their pay-per-view numbers for that matter uh ufc 257 they have two million buys Now, Sports Business Journal and several reputable sites that I do trust to probably be in the correct ballpark, at least, reported 1.6 million. 
pay-per-view buys for UFC 257. So that's a 400K just completely wrong. There's no source on them. I've never heard of MMASalaries.com before this happened and all these reports came out from a couple of other smaller sites taking that number and running with it. There, There's no real reason to believe these guys. It's pure con- conjecture. There's no evidence. There, there's no citing any real sources. They say it's an estimate based on previous buy salaries and all of that. That I can believe where they're looking at previous salaries before they changed the rules. But remember, Nevada, the, the Nevada State Athletic Commission changed the rules so they don't report salaries anymore. They haven't for a while now. It's been months, more than that. Like they're so to say, like, yeah, we're gonna go ahead and just use this last number from you know way back here. And yeah, sure, I'm sure the base salary it's fine, right? All that. And 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 do conjecture on pay-per-view buys with no source listed whatsoever, other than these are estimates based on what we no real sources. I mean, that's that's rough. And if MMASalaries.com and anybody's watching this or sees this and is like, oh no, it's it's reputable. They do have real sources. By all means, hit me up. I'm okay to be wrong about this if there's actual evidence. But for right now, this seems like somebody just went ahead and just said, yeah, that sounds about right. Or dare, you know, dare I say, watched my prediction was like, yeah, sure, that that's probably right. Just through there, that's that's probably giving myself too much credit. I know it is, but point is, there is no real evidence here that that is correct. They have missed pay-per-view buys in the past. You can't believe this. Yet, this tweet, um, you know, went wild. And I won't rename the specific tweet. I'm sure most of you saw it or have seen other people do it. But, but I mean, journalists retweeted this and say, man, yeah. And honestly, the number that was that was listed at $1.6 million or whatever is probably higher than what Usman actually got paid if UFC 258 uh, buys did less than 500k just because Usman might be making a million as a champion as a base salary but 500,000 is kind of the norm sometimes it's it's hard to say it is really hard to say nowadays especially with contract negotiations uh, really changing and really the UFC changing their policies uh, in light of the antitrust lawsuit in light of of other things that have been going on in the sport you can't take that number and say it's solid fact. There, there's a very good chance that that number of 500,000 or 600,000, I'm not sure which it was. Either way, there's there's a solid chance that's pretty close to his actual base, Usman's actual base. But you never know. Could easily be 1 million, especially when in the middle of a pandemic. Usman's been very dominant. Who knows? But this shows you just how easy it is to spread informa- misinformation on this stuff. Right. You had journalists pick this up and retweet it and be mad about the number. And I get that they should probably be more mad because I'm guessing he made less. I'm guessing my 500 K buys was not correct. I don't know. We'll see Uh, just based on the enthusiasm of the car and what I saw during uh, during the actual broadcast, looking at metrics, looking at the the uh, prelims and how those did on television, the ratings there. ah, It's probably a little high, but either way, I mean, for people to just take this at face value and say, this is nuts and, and run with it. And it got over 200. Like it, it circulated and no basis of fact whatsoever. None. And then several other smaller news outlets saw that and just was like, yep, I'm going to go ahead and just run on that and, and wrote stories on it. And I'm not going to call those news outlets out because that's not my thing, but it, it just shows you again, what I've, I've preached on this podcast many a time 
you're probably sick of hearing about it, but until this shit stops, I, I've got to preach about it. You, you can't trust salaries or pay-per-view numbers nowadays. It's too hard. There are very few instances when you can look at a pay-per-view buy rate or a person's salary in, in a state where it's not disclosed. I think California still discloses it. A couple other states do. So yeah, base salary at least, you might be able to get an idea of that. But in any state where it's not fully disclosed by the commission, and if you're not getting the pay-per-view numbers from, you know, honestly, I don't even know. Because even, you know, Bob Eager, when he was the CEO of Disney and he touted McGregor versus Cerrone's pay-per-view buys at about a million. No, turns out it was 1.3 some because McGregor actually showed the paper. That's that's the only time you're going to get actual pay-per-view buy rates that are very solid and in a, you know, 90 to 95% ballpark nowadays. I do trust Sports Business Journal and some of the other bigger sports businesses sites. I believe they do have sources. They can still be wrong. I think they probably are in a lot of cases. It's it's hard for them not to be. That's not a knock on them. But I do trust them to do their due diligence. But other than that, look at this. People ran with this. And and it's it's infuriating. So my my ask from you guys, the viewers, is, you know, if you see this happening, make sure to check. Be like, yeah, you know what? You're just retweeting this. Where Where's the source? Because you should know if you watch this program, you should know that most of the time it's just bullshit. It just really is. And I don't know what Usman got paid. It's certainly too low. I think we can all agree on that. I doubt he's getting a bunch of crazy uh, discretionary bonus in the background, which... UFC discretionary bonuses, I am going to cover on Thursday's episode, so stay tuned for that because there's some really good info that came out from a couple of sources this past week that we want to dive into. But again, you see those numbers, do not take them at face value, please. You, you, I know you guys know better, but spread the word. Make sure that you're, you're saying, where did you get this from? And if you know it's BS, make sure to call them and be like, that's not a correct number at all. It's not even remotely correct. In this case, if you mess if you messed up UFC 257 by 400,000 buys, I, I don't know what to tell you. Could it actually be two million? Maybe we'll see if Connor comes out one day. Is like, yep, this is here. It is two million. Yeah, I could see it, but I really think it's probably 1.6, like Sports Business Journal, you know, reported on. That's what I had pegged. I, I can't imagine it's it's bigger than, you know, uh, yeah. So again. Just if you see something, say something, y'all. That's it. If you see people talking stupid shit about salaries or pay-per-view buys, say something. That's all there is to it. All right. Next thing I want to dive into here is the PFL's fundraising, right? So the PFL sent out a press release saying that it got $65 million in a new round of fundraising. Uh, let me pull up the list of people who led the round. So Aries Capital, Elysian Park Ventures, and Nighthead Capital led the round. And the sources close to the situation say that this new round of fundraising is going to be done for fighter acquisition. Now, that's big. We'll dive into that in a second. Let's talk about this press release, right? This is what startups do. This is, this is their move. I've told you before on this program how the PFL has been on Bloomberg television a bunch, how they're doing interviews. You know, it's been a thing for a while now where the PFL is out there just saying, yeah, we're number two, all of this stuff. Lauren Mack is a, a master PR man who, you know, did PR for one championship and then moved over to the PFL. And if you look at a lot of his stuff, it, it's, that's where you're seeing the graphic 
where it's like, oh, PFL is the number two MMA organization and it can challenge the UFC and a lot of interviews with a couple of different sites saying those types of things. It, this is what startups do. That is their their entire playbook just laid out for you. It doesn't matter if it's MMA. It doesn't matter if it's some new crazy product or service. They tout themselves as someone that can disrupt the status quo because that's how you're going to disrupt the supply chain or you know the value chain, what have you, and you're going to actually take market share is being a disruptor, not a, hey, everybody's doing this and it seems to be working. I'm just going to join right in. No, nah. startups generally are all about disrupting the current model so they can take more share and, and pitching that to investors as, yeah, we're different and we can do this better than they can because of X, Y, Z. That's their whole thing. This type of press release is, again, another classic startup move in terms of saying, yeah, we got $65 million from all these big firms, right? The three firms I just listed out at the beginning of this are all VCs, venture capitalist groups. That's that's what they do. They give money. They hope they get it back. This is all one big startup thing. They're talking about this round of funding. They're going to do more. They've done rounds of funding in the past. I believe now they're on E, if not F. So that's, you know, five five or six, they're, they're, we're going to see more of this. And I think the PFL is going to get continued rounds of funding because they do have a unique business model. They have picked up some big names. And the second part of that press release stated that they're using this for fighter acquisition. That is a key piece of this. And I'm assuming why a lot of those companies forked up uh, you know, a total of $65 million because they are now pitching themselves as, yes, Okay, we've got the new format, right? That was their initial goal and their initial pitch when they first started this was, look, we're going to do this in a fair way that, you know, football fans or basketball fans or, or MLB fans can relate to or any of the big sports, can, NBA, anyone can relate into this tournament style format, right? This is a, a very easily digestible type of MMA format for other sports fans. And it's better than, say, the rankings in the UFC or Bellator or one or who have you because it's something that's fair and easy to understand. And everybody loves tournaments, right? And they've got a point, right? We, we talk about Bellator's tournaments. We did a whole video on the light heavyweight tournament. A lot of people are excited about that. That's how Bellator's made a really uh, bigger splash the past couple of years is having the welterweight tournament, you know, the featherweight tournament, all of this. It's 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 what they do. Tournaments are exciting. People like it. To have an entire format based around it makes sense in a lot of ways, or to at least to attempt it. But now they've moved from pitching that as their main thing to saying, "Hey, look, we've got the format. It works. Look at all the look at all we've been able to do. We got an ESPN deal where we get five million dollars a year reportedly. That's big news, right? You know, we're we're now we've got our hooks in." on the MMA industry. Now we can challenge for number two. And how are we going to do that? Well, we got to get some bigger name fighters. That's really what we're missing here. And that's what they're pitching to investors is that entire line of questioning, thinking, what have you is, yeah, no, we've got the format down. We've got the basis of what we need. Now it's time to go out there and get some bigger names so that we draw people in that are more hardcore fans that know, you know, Oh, okay. We know, and really, hardcores and casuals, right? I mean, Anthony Pettis isn't going to pull what he used to in the casual crowd. Of course not. But he will pull some people. 
Right. And and Rory McDonald, same. Especially the MMA hardcore hardcore crowd that is kind of exclusively UFC, which I say that there is a subset of that where they diligently watch UFC only events and don't really care about Bellator, don't really care about PFL. Nah, not our thing. But when you start picking up some of the UFC veterans who got bigger within the MMA hardcore following, like Rory and Anthony, and put them over to another promotion, you've got a much better chance of those strictly UFC people saying, you know what? Oh, Pettis is fighting on this PFL card, and it's on a Thursday or a Friday? Well, I mean, UFC isn't even on for, in, until Saturday. Yeah, sure, I'll go ahead and I'll watch this. And that's what they're banking on. They are banking on taking those people that love really just the UFC and the fighters, and that's really what they've grown up on, and they're trying to take some of those names that are a little bit longer in the tooth. Mind you, it's not a Bellator play where they're getting, you know, uh, Big Country or Frank Mir or anything of that, where it's kind of like they're at the twilight of their careers. They're trying to get more seasoned veterans that probably can't make a run for the belt in the UFC, or maybe could if they were able to string it together. Um, but at least right now don't uh, seem to be able to make the run at the title in the UFC and instead grab some of those guys the UFC is willing to let go and and put them on their roster. Spice things up a little bit, right? Because you can guarantee if Anthony Pettis goes over to PFL and he enters that tournament and let's say he ends up you know, getting knocked out by Natan Shul, that's just stock raising all day for them and if he ends up going on to win the tournament oh cool he, he won the tournament awesome well who's going to challenge him who's going to be able to take him out anthony pettis has still got it he's won the tournament it's a win-win for the pfl given where they are at in terms of a business they're still in startup stage they're still trying to grow either scenario there helps them from where they are bellator a more established promotion a little bit riskier right if if Anthony Johnson or Yoel Romero just crush everybody else in the light heavyweight rank, um, tournament. Just just obliterate them. Eh, I mean, that's a little bit worse for them than, say, if uh, Nemkov ends up you know, submitting one of them or, or knocking one of them out. That's better for Bellator at this point because they are a more established promotion. They are a little bit older. They've got that second spot kind of secure right now. They're trying to say, we've been competing with the UFC. Look at our guys, right? When Chandler went out and knocked out Dan Hooker, that was a big thing for Bellator, a big, you know, stock raiser to say, yeah, we've got real legit people. You've said for years, we don't have legit fighters. Well, guess what? Michael Chandler just torched Dan Hooker. If Chandler goes on to win the belt, even better. Alvarez was a big boost for them. For Alvarez to come over from Bellator and win the UFC belt, that was important. For Chandler to do it would be even bigger for Bellator. PFL, though, is, is not even near that stage. They say they're number two, but, I mean, you can easily see through this that they're still going through series of fundraisings, right? They, they can't sustain a profitable operation on their own. So it's all about getting name fighters right now. They're looking at... I'm trying to think of who they're going to pick up. We've had, we've seen cuts. I would imagine Antonio Carlos Jr. is probably on their radar. Could easily see him getting picked up. Um, not for this season because it's obviously closed, but for next year, could see a couple of bigger names uh, for either Bellator or UFC that as these cuts happen in the UFC, especially the names of people like 
Antonio Carlos Jr. on that level where you recognize him maybe in the top 15, maybe just outside the top 15, but a recognizable name, he gets cut because he's making too much money, hasn't really panned out on how the UFC wanted, can bring in a contender series guy. That's prime fodder for the PFL. And that's also something Bellator will probably compete with them on, right? Bellator has picked up a couple of those guys. I mean, Anthony Johnson and Yoel Romero, very big wins for the promotion. They're not looking to do it as much. They're not in that same mindset where they were before. So it's not going to be as competitive, I would say, in terms of Bellator really fighting with PFL over everyone. Maybe certain people, but for the most part, I think they'll kind of just pick and choose whoever's available. But I, I really feel like the PFL has a big opportunity here if they're able to get the right names and put on the right shows. Because if you're able to say, you know, stack a welterweight division with Rory McDonald, Pettis, who's not there right now, he's at 155, but he says he wants to go back up to 170. So let's say you get Pettis, um, McDonald, let's say, you know, I know Antonio Carlos Jr. is 185, but let's say he cuts down to 170 or, or rather moves up, right? I think he's fought all the way at heavyweight, which is bonkers. Uh, you know, you can get, you can get some good divisions in there where people don't necessarily have to follow the PFL to recognize names. And that's the key. It's getting the UFC crowd, not just the casual like audience, everybody out there, because they're going for that too. But really the format of the PFL is trying to grab those casual viewers that maybe don't watch MMA very often or don't watch MMA at all. They're really trying to hammer home the format for that. No, what they're looking for right now with these acquisitions are the UFC only viewers. The ones that say, yeah, I'll watch the occasional Bellator or the occasional PFL if it makes sense. But really, I'm a UFC guy. That's who they're trying to pick up here. Because if you get enough known names, especially UFC vets in PFL in that tournament format, I think you can take a fair amount of that viewership. We'll see how it pans out. This year is going to be a big test for that because this by far is their biggest year in terms of you know having UFC vets in every division, pretty much. So we'll see how this pans out. But I, I really think that's the play here. It's important that they got that serious fundraising. $65 million will easily get them through this year and probably another year or so. Depends on what their burn rate is. But I would imagine, you know, you're looking at one or two years with this series fundraising. We'll see if they need to go back to the well sooner rather than later. Because I will tell you this, they are going to announce another fundraising series at some point it, it's going to happen but the ratings this year are going to be very big and also because they've done the espn deal right similar to the ufc we may not get a full grasp of what the viewership is in terms of espn plus type of uh you know wa watchers viewers what have you so well we'll see what happens but this, this is the play it's a startup move it's a yep format we, we've got the format set. Now we just need the fighters. If the fighters don't deliver, if their ratings crash, then it's, it's trouble for the PFL. So this season's going to be a big one, especially since they had to cancel last season. This is a big, big winner go home moment for the PFL. And we'll see what happens. All right. Last big thing I want to talk about on today's episode is the Bellator promotional rankings that were announced. So if you haven't heard yet, we are going to get a similar set of rankings for Bellator that we see in the UFC. We'll have a champion and then a one through 10, not a one through 15, just a one through 10 in each division, uh, a men's pound for pound, a women's pound for pound. 
And it's going to be made up of a pretty impressive media panel. Um, I know a lot of the guys that are on that panel. It's got some good integrity there. I think that's a good call in terms of, I honestly think it's maybe stronger than the UFC's media rankings panel. So uh, that's, that's impressive. And really, we want to take a look at what this means for the business side of things. When it comes to promotional rankings, it is a system that benefits the promotion far more than the individual fighters. So while it's cool as fans, we now get to see like a ranking system and we get to say, oh yeah, I want to see ranked, you know, number four light heavyweight fight number one. And the winner of that's probably going to get a title shot outside of these tournaments, right? What it really does is it gives the promotion a fair amount of leverage. We saw this back when the UFC was really growing their empire. A big thing that helped them to become this unstoppable force that is now worth four to seven billion dollars, depending on who you ask, and just way far ahead of all the competition is they got so many fighters that were ranked in the top 10 in the world and put them on their contract and kept extending those contracts. So they kind of just hoarded them so that other promotions couldn't take those people. It was a big thing. It was a huge part of their success. If you were ranked, you know, one to five or five to 10 in the world, that was someone that was more likely to have a longer contract length as well as be higher paid. And that was something that really changed the game because if you hoard all of the top fighters in the world, it doesn't matter what any other promotion does. They're still never going to be the best. They can be the champ, but they're never going to be, oh, they're going to be the best. You know, they're, oh, yeah. Uh, Michael Chandler is amazing, but he's he's not better than Habib. No way, man. I mean, he's not even better. He's, a, he's not even a top five guy, right? I know you guys have, uh, have friends that say that. I know some of you might say it. I've said it before when I was younger, for sure. That was part of the UFC's entire plan to build their empire. And it worked because you could argue now, right? That there are champions and other promotions that may be able to take on UFC champions, but for the majority of MMA fans, they're not going to think that they're still going to think the UFC is the cream of the crop. And it was all about building the brand to emanate that message and say, yes, we are the best. We get the best fighters together. So let's circle this back to rankings then. By instituting promotional rankings, what Bellator is able to do here is really limit a fighter's ability to negotiate, right? If you're a top one to three guy in a division, okay, that's going to help you out in, in terms of, yeah, you can say I'm the number two ranked lightweight in the promotion. It's time to re-up our contract. I think I deserve a little bit more. And it'll be a minimal bump, but it's, it's really going to hurt some of the guys that maybe are in the five to 10 range or, or below in Bellator that then try and leave Bellator and go to one or go to the UFC because then the UFC can say, Oh, okay. Yes. You great fighter. Let me see where you are. Oh, you're not even ranked in the top 10 of Bellator's division. Yeah. We're not going to give you a good deal. Oh yeah. You've had six straight knockout. You look phenomenal. That's cool, but you're not even ranked, man. I can't give you, you know, the same deal as, some of our newer ranked guys, uh, even some of our contender series guys, who knows, right? I mean, contender series is pretty much the floor, so they would probably at least get that. But you get what I'm saying. What rankings do is hurt a fighter's ability to leverage themselves as a 
a star or a big product in free agency and within the promotion itself. It's a simple fact. It makes sense for the promotion to do this. You know, they've been working on this for, I think, about a year or something like that. I I mean, it's I've heard rumors of this for a long time. Uh, We had somebody at the body lock be asked to be a part of this. They declined. We've done a video on that if you want to check that out about where media should fit in with the rankings. Uh, We've gone over that. Definitely uh, check out that video in terms of breaking that down. But what the promotion is trying to do here is, yes, establishes themselves as a, you know, authority of, yeah, we've got these awesome fighters. Yes, now you can look through the rankings and for their fans, right, it it makes sense. Bellator fans are going to kind of love the rankings, I would imagine. As a fan myself, I'm going to love the rankings because you always like to debate, like, what, they're ranked number four, they're ranked number seven, huh? What, they should be higher, lower, or, oh, no, that's about perfect. Either way, rankings have just always been something that people tend to love. Top top ten lists in general, right, are just whatever reason, we as humans just love the shit out of them. So that makes sense to do for the fans' perspective, but really this is helping them so much in negotiations. The fighters can't do much beyond you know, say, yeah, I'm here. I'm exciting. I'm all, I'm, I'm been on a certain win streak or whatever. If the rankings panel, which is technically independent because they're media, it says like, no, you're number three. Or Bellator gets to point to that and say, yeah, no, you're, you're only three or four. You're not a champ. You're not a one or two. We got to give you a little bit less money. And one championship or UFC says, yeah, oh, that's awesome. But you're only three or four. So we got to give you slightly less than, say, Eddie Alvarez when he came over here or, you know, Will Brooks when we signed him. Yeah, no, those guys were awesome. But we can't give you that because you're you're ranked three or four. Mm. It's it's the nature of the beast that this really hinders fighters leverage. So it's important to note that because I would imagine you're going to see a lot more fighters speak up about this, especially when it comes to where they end up being ranked. The fact that you had this system not in place for so long in Bellator, you did tournaments, which great. I know I've won enough fights. I'm probably going to get a tournament slot or I'm on a three or four fight win streak. I can go ahead and call out a title because there's no rankings here. And I've looked good on this three or four, fight win streak. If I can get, you know, enough groundswell from fans and social media, I might get that title shot or I might get a number one contender about at least. But now they're going to be calling out ranked guys just like the UFC does where fighters don't call out the champion necessarily. Sometimes they do when they really aren't on position to do so. But most of the time they say, I want to fight a ranked above me. We're going to see all that fun stuff happen in Bellator. A lot of Bellator fighters, I'm guessing will complain as well because suddenly it's going to be much more about your ranking position rather than just, oh, I need a fight against a name guy or someone that I know I can beat and string together a big win streak. It's going to hurt the fighters in terms of getting their title shot chances as well. So good move for the business, bad move for the fighters. What's new in MMA, right? So let, let me know in the comments how you feel about the ranking system. Do you think it will actually enhance Bellator here? I am curious to know about that because... And I mean that from a viewing perspective, right? Are you going to be happier watching Bellator seeing rankings next to fighter names? Or would you have preferred it to just be kind of like, yeah, now they don't need rankings. Let's just have fun matchups. 
people will clearly emerge or semi-clearly emerge as title contenders and we'll throw them up against the champions and we'll do tournaments. I know a fair amount of people that liked that style in Bellator. Do you prefer the ranking style where it's number four versus number six or one versus two or what have you? Or do you prefer, you know, kind of just laying it out there? Let me know. I definitely want to hear your opinions on that. Last quick thing I'm going to cover here is the UFC announced that they have a deal with TikTok where they're going to be giving behind the scene content, a couple of exclusive fight preview type things and advertisements and special access. This makes sense. UFC is the number third sports entity on TikTok right now. I forget what number two and number one are, but they're they're big for the TikTok platform. And this is similar to the UFC's deal with Snapchat that I covered way back in the early Fight Business podcast. It's a good promotional deal. It helps in terms of marketing, getting social media, and, and younger viewers looking at the UFC, right? It's all about finding the newest, latest trends. Just like they went after Snapchat when it was pretty hot, they're going after TikTok, which has obviously become a very hot thing with the 18 to 24 crowd. It's not a massive, you know, groundbreaking deal. If you have TikTok and you check out some of their content, uh, let me know if it makes any difference for you, if it helps, if there's any particular thing they're doing with the behind the scenes content or the previews or what have you that's awesome or that you love and really makes a difference from you, let me know. I personally don't have TikTok. Uh, I recommend that you don't get TikTok on your phone that's not me just being an old man. That's uh, there's, there's a couple of posts you can search about uh, reverse engineering the app and you see all the data that's being taken. It's a whole thing. So that's just me. I'm, I'm not grabbing it. But if there's something on there that catches your eye, that's like, oh, this is amazing. Or this really does enhance my fight week. Or this is a really cool feature. By all means, let me know. Because this is a play by the UFC that I think makes sense to do given how big they are and given that they're trying to hit that 18 to 24 demo more makes all the sense in the world. I just don't know how well it's going to translate. I don't see this being some mega deal where all of a sudden everybody's like, have you seen that awesome UFC piece on, you know, TikTok? Have you, have you seen Curtis blades? I love him now. Or Derek Lewis, man, he's the best. Have you seen what the montage they did on TikTok? If there's anybody out there or anyone, you know, who, is talking about the UFC or someone in the UFC that maybe they knew about or didn't really care as much about. And now it's made him a fan because of TikTok promotion. Let me know. Cause that would be very interesting to me to see exactly what kind of influence this deal is having. Cause on the surface, it looks like just another smart, safe marketing play of yep. This platform, let's make a deal. Let's push some content and see what happens and, and keep our name out there for the younger crowd. Not a man, this is going to change everything. So let me know in the comments if you know anybody that is digging the TikTok UFC content or if you're digging it as well, because I'd love to hear it. All right, guys. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for watching, listening. I really appreciate it. Whether uh, you're on YouTube, uh, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that. Always appreciate the love. If you are on YouTube and you haven't hit that like and subscribe and notification bell button, please do that. Would appreciate it. We did reach 1,000 subscribers over the weekend. Love you guys for that. That's amazing. We are going to use the monetization process to up the event production and the content. So get ready for that because I'm I'm really excited. Can't 
tell specifics yet, but I'm really excited about what we're going to be able to do now that we've hit that mark. And for Thursday's episode, we're going to talk about the UFC discretionary bonuses. A lot to unpack there. It's going to be a main focus of the episode because it touches so much of the business and a lot of things that fighters have talked about over the past decade. The antitrust lawsuit, it, it really wraps everything together there. We're also going to talk about the unrest in Myanmar and how that might affect one championship. There are some things going on right now in the country, if you haven't heard, uh, that could have an effect on one championship's stars as well as their viewing audience. So I'll break that all down for you in terms of what it means for the promotion, if anything, and what they can do to kind of protect themselves from everything going on. We'll have a couple of other stories, I'm sure, as the week unfolds. But thank you again so much for listening, watching. I, I can't tell you enough how much I've been looking forward to doing this since I've had a hellish week. So thank you guys so much. I'll see you again Thursday. And until then, get money. Mm -hmm.